Chops TV. You will be chopped. Know what that means? Licking my chops. Today I will show you how to do a karate chop. Simply saying, no, he doesn't have the chops to do what it takes. New thing. I'm busting chops. Welcome to Chops TV, featuring Jennifer Lopez. Now here's Chops. Back for another week with Chops TV. Insert pop song here because that's what we're talking about. A movie that just likes to insert pop songs there just to grab people, get them interested. And they've been doing it since the first one. This was the third one. Of course, we're talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I'm joined, as always, by my wife, J-Lo. Hey, yo, what's up? It's J-Lo. It's your girl. Brooklyn all day, ride or die. Don't edit this. I'm not going to edit that. That's that's what you need to be on your podcast. You need to be so authentically you that everybody goes, I like that person. Unfortunately for you, nobody's ever going to say that, but at least you get to be authentic. Damn. Wild. That's really wild, crazy shit coming from you. Yeah. Ah, there you are with a swear word within the first minute. That's you. Auth- that's Authentic. The, that's the authenticity BK. that we needed. Bra, bra, bra. I would say, actually, a transition, good one here. The Guardians are probably the most authentically made of the Marvel movies. I don't know about that. Which one's more authentic? I don't the know Guardians what that, seem the in least, what context. That's they, weird... seem, they do seem the least to have the hooks of the corporate machine in them, in their creative decisions. Uh, I don't know, because there's Thor. At least Tycho's... Tycho's Thor. Yeah, but Thor is also still a big driver of stories and what's going to happen. Whereas the Guardians, the first one has to, has to do with an Infinity Stone. The second yeah. one really has nothing to do with any other movies. Besides maybe things on the edge that I'm not remembering because I haven't seen the second one I just, in a I, long time. I don't know. The word authentically is not... That was a weird word to choose. It's you, Okay, I can see with the Taika Waititi ones, but it's definitely the most filmmaker made a movie versus Marvel made a movie and put a filmmaker in charge of it. Okay, sure. You ask for transitions, Jen. This is, you have to take, them, know. take it just, or leave it. You just got so caught up trying to dog me out that you... You fumbled the bag on the transition, and now somehow that's my fault because you picked a bad word. That's, you know what, ladies and gentlemen, that's what it's like being married to a myth (laughs) and a legend. There's no room for error. Now you're yelling at me. There's that authenticity again. This is great. Great. I hate this. Should we just start again? This is, we got to scrap this. No, we're going through with it. We're going through with it. It's painful. Okay, what did you think of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? I'll start out by saying I really liked it. Non-Avengers would be up there as one of my favorites, probably up there with like a Thor Ragnarok one. of I really liked it. I really liked it too. I found it to be extremely authentic in its storytelling. I hate you. <laughs> no, but I did like it. I don't know if I would put it that high, mainly because I was crying most of the time. So I think parts of it were just like too painful for me to like completely enjoy the experience of watching it but i can still understand that it's a good it's a good marvel movie for sure i did have that thought too um now might have just been because it was sunday morning we had a bonfire the night before so i was still maybe recovering from that slightly but because the movie is very tear jerky and pulls at your heartstrings a lot i found it almost draining by the end because then when i checked my phone it was already 
It had been three hours since the start time, but obviously there's 20 minutes of Maria Menudos of Maria Menudos and then trailers and those just keep going. But so I looked up the runtime It's two and a half hours long, which is pretty long for a standalone one, but becoming more the norm yeah. in, in the Marvel universe. Um, and they, this obviously has a ton of characters, so it didn't really like feel its length. Well, but they had, by the end, you're like, man, I just went through a lot. Yeah, they had two, two, they had two second acts. Yeah. In this movie. So I think that's where I started to feel the length was when they get to the town and stuff like that mm-hmm. on Counter Earth. Yeah. they. So you're right. That is like a, a double second act. But it is still it's still in the same story, which is weird. Because usually when you get that in Marvel movies, like in the Avengers ones, it's like the people are separate. So you're kind of following two stories. Yeah. And then each one gets a thing in the middle. And then you get to the third act where they meet up. This is when they were all together. And it was still... To accomplish the same goal, to infiltrate whatever the company was called that the, the what was yeah. his what was his name the villain, the the high evolutionary the high evolutionary I, I'm not worried about names court. anymore they're yeah. they're too much I I don't care I get it I know what's happening I, names yeah. not important well we that's have, how I kind of live my life I think the separation was that Rocket's story and backstory was getting told as like the divider between the. The like ongoing narrative mm-hmm. and with the flashbacks, with scenes the flashbacks, yeah. And I actually started with that. That was the the entrance into the story. And then because of that device, I wondered if we were in like some sort of like the opening was entertaining, where they were like, "Here's they're all in nowhere, and here's what they're doing, and here's what's going on." And Peter Quill is falling down drunk, and like it was almost like a dream sequence. The way it was filmed. I don't know if that was filmed on a different type of camera because it was like a tracking, like kind of one type mm. shot deal going around there. But it had, a, to me at least, it had a, like a different feel that it was almost something tacked on to it. And maybe that is something they did. You know, you never know with these movies what's going to happen. But yeah. then, the sto- then the story for real starts with... It did feel more like a cold open than yeah. like a... Yeah. But then they go right into what just happened and the... What's a uh, warlock shows up here? I got that name. Well, I think they had. I think they had to do that kind of like tracking style, like longer open before the opening credits, because we have to like refamiliar. Well, people have to refamiliarize themselves with who are the players in this movie. So, like, unless you watch that like holiday special or whatever, it's very easy to forget. Like. Who are the guardians? And the dynamics of the group yeah. and what's going on here. Um, and apparently they're kind of sick of being the guardians a little bit. Obviously, Quill is mostly checked out until his best friend, second best friend, is in dire straits and needs to be saved. Um, and then Nebula feels like she's holding it all together. Yeah. Um, and like kind of playing like den mother to all of them. And now I do wonder like if sometimes I miss like what's going on with Nebula because she, I mean, she is a part of the Guardians going into Infinity War, I think after the second. See, my problem is I didn't really like that second Guardians movie. So I'm not like invested in like what actually happened in that film. But I know that her and Gamora had like a reconciling and then like evil Nebula comes back from the past. It's Kurt Russell and he's a planet and you find out that is Peter Quill is a celestial or something like, like that. Like half. Hadsies. Yeah, and that's why he has like kind of superpowers. Yeah, okay, I'm starting to remember that one a little bit more. Yeah, so then, but then in Infinity War, 
the past Nebula and past Gamora come into the story and then she's fighting past Nebula and all that stuff. But I don't, I think maybe I just missed the emotional beat where Nebula becomes like very invested in keeping the Guardians together. That's in the second one when she and Gamora have a heart to heart. And then because Gamora, Gamora one goes away and we're left with only yeah. Gamora two. Nebula feels like she's honoring the good version of her sister kind of by by sticking with it. But I think what we're running into, and this is going to be a problem with Marvel as this world keeps getting bigger, is so much has happened with the Guardians since Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 that it doesn't really affect this movie. Yeah. Not much. I mean, there's character stuff, and that's why we're having trouble kind of tracking it, I feel like, because uh, like story beat-wise, so much has gone on with them as they finally entered the fray in the big universe of it all instead of just doing their own movies. Mm-hmm. But it was a good movie. I really liked it. Um, like you said, it was, it had the two second acts and I like, so we, we kind of talked about that first one. You get updated on where the guardians are and what's going on. And then they, they, they discover they have to save rocket and they can't save rocket because he has a kill switch in him and they need a code to get him. So then they then they go on to do this whole thing, and that's how they meet up with Gamora. I don't want to go scene by scene, but I wanted to set up when they go to what you call it, Agcorp, Orgocorp, Orgocorp, because they they make organisms. That's probably why. Because it's like a bio, it's a bio station, or that's I what know. I wanted to get to. It's not. <laughs> it's not anyway. It's because it's yeah. It was very bold to. Uh, make something that you visually had to spend a lot of time with made out of like interior flesh. Yeah. It's it's once you like, once they turn on their little gravity boots and they land on it, it's pretty gross. And then they're cutting through it and it's that's like, where, it's like squishy. Yeah. They're that's like, where I, that's yeah. where I like cringed a bit when they start like, cutting into the epidermis of the layer that they land on. And it like, was like magic school like, bus at that point, you know, when they go inside the body. Up. Yeah. Yeah, that shit's nasty. But it's cool because it's it's like an interesting way to do body horror, I think. Yeah. <laughs> because most of the time you get body horror and it's like either zombie, monster, blah, 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 is like melting away and whatever. But or like this torture. Is like, yeah, but this is just like a like cutting into a like a company. Well, and it's a, <laughs> it's very and it's a weird way to like look at it and James Gunn is definitely somebody who will embrace the weirdness of the comic books. So this is this I mean I don't know for a fact, but I just feel like this definitely has to be something ripped from the comic books. This is this isn't just something that like what if this? Like this has to be something that existed somewhere in the Marvel comic book universe. And maybe it doesn't look as gross when it's, you know, drawn in, in but in like actual realistic looking CGI, it's uh, yeah. I was I was ready for them to get inside yeah. of it and be like, I don't want to be on the outside of it. it felt like it was the, gonna have um, hairs poking out of it and stuff. I didn't like it. Even the spacesuits that like the the Sentinels use, mm-hmm. they look like that. You know, everyone has seen that like little organism that looks like a like a little mic microbic bear thing okay yeah yeah yeah. that's what it looks like their suits looked like that. And they just got I a little human it, head yeah out. i wonder if that's sort of what they were going for like looking them look make look like microbes yeah it's, i don't know as i think about it too it's like weird because it, it's essentially if something is made of wood well that's made of organic material and we mm-hmm. cut through that and we're used to seeing that 
this is just kind of the same idea, but the organic material is flesh instead of plants. Yeah, and they're having like a act, like at least well, um, Star Lord's trying to have this like heart to heart with Gamora on this like. Because well, green goes to blue and red goes. <laughs> that was funny. I think that joke went on too long though. Yeah. Um, as far as jokes go, Dave Bautista, I think, is the funniest one. He in the kills movie. it every time. He's hilarious. He's a good actor. We just got to say it. Like, I think he's a good actor. I still am not sure if he has a ton of range. But that's not always the, the end of the world. I don't for know. I thought he was good at Knock at the Cabin. Yeah, that was a that was a slightly different role for him. Yeah. The problem for him is it's really hard to cast him in different roles because he's always going to be big strong guy. Yeah, we need he's always going to visually look like big strong guy. We need him in a rom com. If I see him in a rom com as the lead, not as the comedic best friend who helps in Sue hijinks, I need him in, in the romantic lead. If he can pull that off, he is a good actor and surpasses The Rock in my opinion. Acting wise, I've said this before and I stand by it. The Rock is the biggest movie star in the world, but if you really break it down, he doesn't really have any good movies. And I disagree with you every single time. I like some of his earlier ones. What's the the Rundown and Walking Tall? Walking and the Tall's Scorpion a remake. King, I know. Scorpion King is terrible. The Scorpion King is a work. It doesn't of even art. look good. It doesn't have to look good. It's that good. It's not any good. The though. only part that doesn't look that good is the CGI bit. Where he's, and that's actually in the Mummy too, not even really in the Scorpion. In the Scorpion King. King, exactly. They don't really have that. So like, Scorpion King's just a cheap little run around the desert movie. Who doesn't love that? That is exactly what The Rock was built for. I say that's where, that's where he. You didn't like the skyscraper one? I think it was called Skyscraper. It was that one was fine, but isn't it better when there's sand around and he's in like a little itty bitty little bit of clothing? No. With knives. <laughs> like, I, I I enjoyed those action films much more, where there were swords and knives and sand. And... The first Jumanji was okay. The first Jumanji was good. I liked the first But I'm Jumanji. talking like, this is the biggest movie star in the world. Are there any movies, besides Scorpion King, because you have a weird relationship with Scorpion King. Are there any of these movies that The Rock has been in that, it, like, say... 20 years from now, if you had a kid and they were like, what movie should I watch? Are there any rock movies that are going to come up? I don't think so. Besides The Scorpion King, maybe. Not yet. And I don't count Fast and the Furious. Those aren't rock movies. He won what the answer. What about The Tooth Fairy? <laughs> yeah, exa- people, exactly. People love The Tooth Fairy. No, they don't. Who we loves need the Tooth the, Fairy? We need The Rock and Dave Bautista in a gay rom-com and see who's more likable. I think That'll actually, be the deciding factor. It wasn't The Rock. Dave Bautista, re- it was John Cena. Recently, John like was Cena. Dun, 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 dun. He was recently asked. Uh, John Cena was at the red carpet or some sort of interview. Like, oh, would you ever work with Dave Bautista? And he's like, oh, I'd love to do that. Blah blah blah. And Dave Bautista like quote tweeted it and was like, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> like, All right. All right, Dave. Um, but yeah, he's tremendously funny as Drax in this, as he has been the whole time. But yeah, and I, he he even gets an emotional moment too that actually works very well because in the way that I don't feel like Nebula really like had the moment where she's like, "I am part of this team." Him and Mantis have had moments where I'm like, "Okay, they are like a unit in the team. Like they have their own 
like fully fleshed out like relationship mm-hmm. so when she leaves at the end i feel like that's a really great moment for him as an actor and as you know drax oh you meant that moment more yeah. i thought you were talking about the moment where you think i'm stupid but then they undercut it by you will forget this and she makes him forget i think a better moment is um where nebula is surprised that he can speak to the kids and yeah. he's like well you never asked it but it's interesting because they break those two up and I think they have a lot of chemistry when they work together. They kind of have the buddy cop duo of yeah. the of the roles in this one. And then they, they're not it doesn't appear that they're gonna have stories together moving forward. Um it's it's hard to tell what stories would come out of this moving forward. This seemed more like a James Gunn putting a cap on what he had done with the Guardians. Um they do mention after the end credit scenes that Star Lord will be back. In what? I don't know. Is he going to be a side character in somebody else's movie? Are they going to do a Star-Lord movie? Do you know anything about the calendar in that sense? No. I don't either. It does seem like, well, because they, I mean, explicitly said it, that Peter's going to be back, that Rocket will be back, because um, all Bradley Cooper has to do is sit in a booth for like a month and get paid a fuck ton of money. Yeah. So he'll be back, and he's in the new, he's in the like, new lineup of the guardians because he's the captain of the guardians which is now the guy with the mohawk rocket groot space dog yeah and adam warlock adam warlock and then one of those girlies one of the new the new race of people yeah the child girl do they have any specific powers that you know of her eyes turn purple that's all i know if it's one of the high evolutionary societies then it it could be there. Think like three or four. I forget. I'm assuming it, they're, they're like not super intelligent, right? If they're supposed to be the the highest form of society ever, yeah, that's what I would assume. But well, he tries every time to make like the best form of like a civilization. Well, he's not gonna get to try again. <laughs> Spoilers. Yeah, they Spoilers. took his face off. Face off. <laughs> Yeah, we've had this technology. That wasn't even shocking. We've had this technology since at least the mid-90s. Imagine if his face came off and it was Nicolas Cage. That would be great. We do need a Nicolas Cage villain in a Marvel movie. We do. That would be fun. That's what we need. Who would Nicolas Cage best work off of, of the Marvel characters? Of like the current hero lineup? I don't know. Maybe put him in like a... Not Shang Chi, maybe. Uh, what about Spider Man? He he'd be a good Spider Man villain. I feel like Benedict Cumberbatch is a little too serious. But those movies are way more like out there. So like the Spider Man villains are usually like I hate to say it in this way like more grounded. Well, they're <laughs> like, just scientists who went too far. That's every Spider Man. Yeah. So except for the one construction guy who's like Sandman, but yeah. But he gets involved in science that goes too far. Yeah. Or, but Nick Cage is a Green Goblin. There is no Norman Osborn in this universe, is there? That's a good question. I don't think so. There is Oscorp, but... Yeah, but there's no Norman... I mean, and there's definitely no Harry Osborn. He's not... Or at least he's not friends with him. Trying to remember. isn't Harry the... I thought Harry was that little Weasley-looking kid from a... I think he's Flash. No. No, not that guy. Okay. Or am I thinking of... I'm thinking of the Andrew Garfield one. Look at you. 
Am I? I am. You probably are. Well, they're all the Nick same Page now. Nick Page is Green Goblin. The campaign starts here. All right, Nick. I mean, that would work. He was definitely up there. Like, as far as like, who's the most iconic Green Goblin? Well, it's Willem Dafoe. Um, he's probably a little more talented overall than uh, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> but and that's not even a knock on Nicolas Cage. But they both definitely have that weirdness factor that they can just ratchet up completely. Yeah. Back to Guardians. Sorry. Here. Um, so we talked a lot about the Guardians that are actually present in it, but they do have to team up with Gamora, Gamora 2 specifically. And I'm glad that they didn't... It, they they had sort of the breadcrumbs to possibly do it, to make it be like, you know what? I am like the other Gamora. I do love Peter Quill. And yeah. like they like hook up at the end. They didn't do that. Yeah, they were with when she finds the photo, when they have that moment when he saves her and he you know, has a yelling match or whatever. They almost set it up like it's about to be a new ship. But but what I appreciate about Gamora Remix is that they weren't afraid to just give Zoe Saldana the send-off that just, just let her have her own thing. So don't commit her to any more movies, but also like make it, make the Infinity War sacrifice of her have stakes and by sacrifice i mean just like outright death and i did like it that they turned it around and showed the moment when she goes back to the ravagers and sylvester stallone is there and they're all they're all actually genuinely happy that she made it through this and like coming back so it kind of turns it on its head that like peter quill was actually wrong that like about the ravagers that like she has found a family there and that's What's important for both her character and Nebula is that they found a family that isn't completely toxic to be a part of because they're not, you know, Thanos is gone at this point, but they found somewhere where they feel like they can belong. So that's a good send up for both those characters. Whereas I don't know if we'll ever see either of them, her or Nebula. Yeah, but that's like, that's one of like the big themes of the Guardians is like found family, right? So... And in in like an important, I think it's an important take on, on the idea that like your experience shaped the person who you are. So like even though Gamora and Gamora Remix start at the same place because they have different experiences, they ultimately are different people at the end of their both of their respective stories. Yeah, and she, I mean, they they have multiple examples of how she just she does not align with this Guardians group. She's willing no. to to be a person for hire, and that's what she's learned with the Ravagers uh, to help them. But she's ready to go in there, guns a-blazing, take out anybody that it takes, and Peter Quill has a little bit higher of a moral compass on that and says we're not going to just kill people. Uh, and I did tell you this, she doesn't. Too. She doesn't want to keep going. She's like, I, yeah. I, I did what you wanted me to do. I, that's what you hired me to do. I'm not Which, going to this planet. Her? They paid the Ravagers, I think. Did they? Did they? Did they pay him? I hope they paid him. I'm a... Because she did a little bit more work than what was oh, agreed they have upon. To go back to the contract yeah. and, and look into it. What do we? What do we? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but one thing I did I was telling you about was that in the comic books, Gamora is like one of the deadliest assassins in the galaxy, and we don't get a lot of that vibe from the original movies and the original Gamora. But like Gamora remix, when they're in, they're doing their version of the Marvel hallway scene. Uh, She's a badass. Like, I really do feel that edge to her that I didn't get with the Gamora that's, mm-hmm. like, originally with the Guardians. And they also pulled it out a couple of times. You don't always... For me, at least, I kind of forget about how Nebula 
her body uh, is kind of nebulous in itself. They they really went hard into that this time. Oh, really like breaking her up. Yeah, they she killed two people while her neck was like broken and like slinking. That was later in the movie, but at the beginning of the movie she gets taken down by Warlock and she is like she's like a pretzel. Yeah. And they just have her like snap back together and uh that's another thing that like this movie does hit beats and I think effectively which something that I can see why people were felt very tonally like yo-yoed by uh, Thor Love and Thunder mm-hmm. and it didn't always match up. I thought it did a better job than most people gave it credit for, but I can see where you're coming from. I thought this movie didn't feel as back and forth with that, although it did go into, like you mentioned, there was some body horror elements. I, I, would, I would classify that Nebula stuff as that. It's mm-hmm. also very, it's very funny. It's got a lot of comedic elements that aren't just drop-in joke here. It's legitimately funny, the situations they find them in. It had good action. And then it's, I mean, it's a, kind of a horrifying drama with the, yeah. all the flashbacks to to Rocket. And it shows... Don't try to play God. It's scary stuff. Yeah, I think what separates this movie apart from... Love and Thunder? Not not only Love and Thunder, but I think with most of the Marvel movies, aside from maybe like Iron Man 3, is that the movie has a somber tone overall. I think there's an overarching somber tone, like a more of a like finality for some characters, an exploration of... Rocket's background and the idea of like grief and mourning and stuff like that. So I think the comedy works better and it's less like like uh, like a tonal yo-yo because when when the jokes come in, you're almost like begging for a laugh. Like I need the relief of like. And it's not just a little quip during a fight where they're just undercutting an emotional moment. It is a different beat. Yeah. generally um which yeah is definitely more effective speaking of, while we're on the subject of jokes and effectiveness of jokes James Gunn stood up to the suits at Disney and said no I'm keeping this f bomb in this movie oh my god and it was totally worth it a well placed swear word not you know you don't have to use it to excess cuz you're right that can become just crass and like oh you're kind of using comedy shortcuts by just being it's the Using a bunch of swear words, swear words is the same way as like being loud is a shortcut to comedy. But in in moderation, they are really effective and really good. And this this f word, oh, op- just open the fucking door. He is says, great. The way he says it, though, she's like, "Then what? Open the fucking door." Like, like have you? And it's so it's so funny because it's like so relatable trying to like give somebody instructions for like a very remedial task and they're like okay well then what next like do the fucking thing like <laughs> like teaching me how to cook Jesus yeah <laughs> so what do I do after I crack the egg you put it in the pan <laughs> I hope that you wouldn't have to pause between cracking the egg and figuring out where to put the <laughs> I, I walk up to you in the other room with the egg in my hand the cracked egg what do I do with this yolk and egg white <laughs> I separated what the yolk now? and the egg white I got one in each hand <laughs> Yeah, so but you're right. That is a relatable. Thing. I did and notice that in the theater, though, um, it didn't get as many laughs. Like there were definitely a couple people who laughed, but I'm not sure if it landed with everyone. Because I and more that's more to more to the point of I don't think people were properly prepared to bring their children to this movie. And I think 
as hard as they tried to say and like with the marketing like this is going to be about rocket they even said like there's going to be an f word in this they're really going to push the pg-13 limit i'm not sure if it came across because even i was like oh i would probably like not recommend taking your kids to see this movie depending on how old they are yeah i mean it would probably definitely be like the at least 13 for most parents i and, would think and not this. because of the curse word the curse word's fine people hear fuck all the time people i, I hate to break it to you your eight-year-old knows the fuck word is and is saying it at the playground kids are never unsupervised anymore maybe not like we were get out of here go outside yeah i was literally waiting for the bus after school for like it could be up to like an hour sometimes enough time for kids to just get into shenanigans light themselves on fire quite literally light themselves on fire you know like firecrackers mostly fire lots of fire in new york throwing things yeah and i can't even imagine what it would be like to be like a 10 year old or like a, a 12 year old trying to get home in new york right now do kids ever just even get the opportunity to just, like, walk into the woods behind their neighborhood anymore? Because that used to be a big thing. Just walk into the woods and walk around for a while and see what you can discover. And then somebody's like, are you going to go into the, the pipe? You know, at the end of the creek, there might be a pipe that's, like, that's big enough sick. for somebody to go into. Now, I will say, I will say, being an unsupervised kid in New York, like, of course, you could get into some shenanigans. That's how you become Spider-Man. Yeah, but being an unsupervised kid in the middle of, like, nowhere ohio is actually terrifying to me like what i'm gonna crawl into a drain pipe in at in the creek what did you just say to me we definitely had we've definitely put kids into the storm sewer too like a skateboard goes down there and a kid has to you, you let your friend in sometimes you get the manhole cover off sometimes you couldn't and sometimes <laughs> somebody would be skinny enough You're that making you would this up. no you would you would hold their hands and they would fall in and they'd grab the skateboard and then you'd pull them out no see my more relatable to the topic at hand mine was like taking the train like into a different part of town or into into a different part of the city that you didn't say that you were gonna go and go see like an r-rated movie you're crawling into fucking drain pipes there's one thing that like E.T. and Stranger Things get right that like in the suburbs, once kids get their bikes and the parents let them go out of like eye shot, you take it everywhere <laughs> and you go as far as you can. Sometimes that's just Taco Bell. Other times it's drain pipes. <laughs> that's crazy. But yeah, this is definitely a, uh, a movie that if you're 13 year old or not, 13 is probably the right age to see this movie. But if your eight year old was like, can you take me and Rebecca and John to go see this movie? Their parents said it was okay. I would still recommend you not taking them. Oh, especially other people's kids. Yeah. If it gets reported back, yeah, you might you might find yourself. Well, there, in that some trouble, happens yeah. all the time now, right? Mm-hmm. When you know the dad likes some Marvel movie, so he, he's the one that rounds up the troops and they all go see the movie. Well, I mean, I don't know how everybody's everybody's different the way they're going to raise their kids and everything, but I would imagine there's a lot of like. PG-13 Marvel is seen differently than PG-13 anything else. Yeah, for Really sure. aren't that many PG-13 movies are there anymore, are there? I still make PG-13 I don't movies? know. And they do NC-17 now, I feel like, is more... No, there's not that many NC-17s either. Really? I just feel like R is adult and PG-13 is seen as actual, like, kid movie now. Well, I feel like the line is so thin between, like, G and PG-13... 
And they don't make very many comedies anymore. That's where you used to probably see the the line more yeah. often. I don't know. I guess like Fast and the Furious, to bring that back up, that's PG-13. That's probably... Yeah. That's one of those ones, though, that like it would probably just go over the kid's head what's inappropriate to them. Well, there's like boobies and stuff. That's why they have like a PG-13 and like guns. There's boobies and guns. A lot of guns. In this one, there's um, scalping rodents and yeah they take off his face and they show it and it's it's gruesome you're right the what's his name the high the high evolutionary yeah there you go that one they take off his face and it's i mean it's like it's like red skull except it's not a skull painted red it's flesh and blood and vessels and and one eye just like completely it's like the movie cabin fever when they they send the one girl out into the like shed and then they go check on her later in the movie it's like that but even more that was sick though that was so like cool what when they tore and the way gamora like that's also another way to show off that like she's been through some stuff that she just like pulls his face off and is like his face came off yeah (laughs) like they they just murdered (laughs) this guy and she and his face comes off and she's just like that was weird. That's Thanos's kid, <laughs> right? Um, as far as the Guardians go, would you be interested in a new movie with them, with this new lineup of the Guardians that we were talking about earlier? I don't know. I think, and this is my biggest critique of the movie. I think is that I think they got sort of derailed with like the Infinity Saga and stuff, and they didn't plan out well enough what they were gonna do with the Sovereigns and Adam Warlock because Adam Warlock in the comics is like a really big deal and he appears in like multiple places and is he as much of an idiot like mama's boy no not really because that's how they play him off that he's kind of stupid and like and that's like Adam Warlock is like supposed to be like one of like the more supreme like higher level beings and they they sort of they mention in the movie they throw as a throwaway line like he got taken out of his cocoon early is that why he's, his brain's kind of... Oh, and she's like, show him we mean business. And he just murders the guy. Yeah. But he gets a pet out of it. So, like... Uh, yeah. So, I, I didn't enjoy that bit so much. And that he was just, like, there and gone and back again. And now he's, like, in the Guardians. So, I don't know. I, I was expecting a little bit more from that character, especially because we've been waiting so long to see it. So, I don't know. And if you got a little bit more, then maybe you would be interested. But... I don't know how much you're going to be able to sell a Rocket Raccoon-led group. I yeah. I don't know what their plan is with it. It doesn't feel like it's going to be the end well, of them. Well, it's not going to be James Gunn also. That's another part of it, too. Um, but yeah, I think we're, we're way more likely to see Star-Lord be a big player in yeah. future endeavors. Except I like Space Dog. Make the Guardians, but all animals. Because Space Dog's Does cool. Does Groot count as an animal? Groot is honorary. He's just like... He's Rocket and Groot. You know, like, they're a package deal. Like Ratchet and Clank on PlayStation. Sure. Similar. Similar dynamic with those guys. Sure. As far as Peter Quill goes, it's weird where they left him off, though, because they give us that scene after it, and it doesn't set anything up. And I think that's a big part of this movie that, to me, makes it work better. And sometimes I like that. I think Marvel sometimes hits this, and I don't know if there's any formula bit to it. 
but they have a, they do a good job every once in a while of making a movie that is actually smaller on their page of like Marvel Cinematic Universe and this goes to this and this goes to that but making the the story seem big as you're watching it and then at the end you realize oh that's not really going to be a big player and a lot of times that can't if it's done right can make a better movie because like Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania was huge for the future of the MCU and it's not nearly as good as this movie. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. So that kind of wraps it up for the Guardians. And Wait. What? There's more you want to say? We didn't, I mean, we didn't even talk really about the rocket stuff, the rocket flashback stuff. All right. Well, I know that really affected you because I could hear you sniffling and crying pretty much the entire movie. So let's. From frame one, I was crying I quite literally the with, entire with film. The little quivering rocket who was being, the hand was the, coming in. Oh my God. And he's just in the. Okay, so I, I guess I'll just preface it by this movie, if you are very sensitive to that kind of stuff, and I immediately thought of Rothman, I was like, I don't know if he will be able to watch this movie. And I, and again, in the same vein of, I don't know if the marketing did a good enough job preparing people for like how hard PG 13 was going to be. I don't think they did a good enough job of like warning people that there was going to be like graphic animal violence and mutilation in this film. Even though they're fake animals and it's CG or whatever, it is a very graphic for people who are sensitive to that kind of stuff. Yeah, because the high evolutionary is definitely not villain of the week in this. This is a villain that really has teeth to him that is going to you're going to question what he's doing and it's actually going to make you think. And that's probably why another reason why like it really earns its PG 13. It's a little too high concept. Now they, they definitely hit it home with like, yeah, this guy's bad. So a, a kid would understand that. But like the things he's doing aren't quite as easy to understand yeah. as, uh, you know, being a bad guy to the villain and or to the heroes and his like cruelty and obsession with rocket. I'm not sure if it's um, like digestible for like a younger audience to like get where like that mania is coming from for him that he basically is kind of like Frankenstein and like his creation is sort of outpacing him and he doesn't understand why because he's like not a perfect creature and he's immediately like solves this issue and you know like the teacher surpasses a student kind of dynamic, except one is like a megalomaniac uh, genocidist and the other one's a baby raccoon. And you're right. When they do first throw Rocket into the uh, cage with his other friends, what is there? Lila, Lila Teefs, and Floor. And Floor. Oh and, but God. like, once you get to know those characters, it's it's a cute little dynamic and then they rip that from you. But at first, they're kind of scary. Looking. Yeah, and that especially that is another... floor with walking like little spider bunny yeah. with the covered face. That's another aspect of that body horror that James Cameron was like James Cameron. <laughs> James Cameron yeah. should do the next Guardians movie. Yeah, weird. Not enough explosions for James Cameron. It'd be all underwater too. He loves water. Everything's underwater. Anyway, James Gunn. So was leaning into that body horror. It is pretty frightening seeing, especially floor for that first time. And even when you go back, it's like. Obviously, like, it's tinged with, like, sympathy, but it is very creepy. It is. And it's, like, very sad, too. And you mentioned how, like... Because they're still so, like, sorry. They're still so, like, happy and positive the whole time that... And I think part of the problem for me, and I have this problem with a lot of movies that I watch. Like, I am not a big crier. You know this. But 
I will lose my fucking mind if I foresee like a hopeful situation meeting a tragic ending. So like as soon as you see them in the cages, you know that these characters are not going to make it out alive. Well, in also, any, yeah, they've never been mentioned or shown in any other rocket in stories. any reasonable fashion. Mm. These these poor poor creatures are going to meet a terrible end. And they're not as advanced as Rocket, so like they are not they're not hip to the jive as quick as him. Now he, to be fair, he is just straight up told by yeah, the he high does, evolutionary. He does get monologued, so, yeah. So that helps him getting there, but even when he tells them what what and he was he, just told, they're still not quite sure. They're a little he, naive to it. And, and he tells Lila, and Lila Lila is a little bit more hip to it, and she's like Okay, like let's get out of here, blah blah blah. But Rocket's the one who breaks them out, and then they're both so excited. Oh God, I can't. The whole fucking thing with the sky, and I like want to jump off a cliff. I'm not okay. And I told my mom too. My mom's favorite animal in the entire world is otters. Mm. She loves otters. Like she has hands. Oh my God, they hold hands so that they don't float away from each other while they're asleep. So they hold hands. It's more of a logistical thing than it is a cute thing, really. No, it's really fucking cute still. <laughs> it Again, like, it makes me want to choke and dive. That's how cute it is. And see... I gotta be honest. I, I knew that they were going to meet their, their end, that he was not going to get out there out of there with any of his friends. But when he took down the guards with the gun, I didn't immediately think that... Oh, those bullets or blasts, whatever they are. Yeah. All those weren't for him. But then he turns around and the other two have now been shot. And it's, it is bad. I know. And, but you can see like a hero. (laughs) I I use that when air quotes, but like someone's origin story. And like, again, how your experiences shape the person you end up becoming. Rocket's a very hard individual. He's very hard and, you know, rough around the edges kind of person. And I think even that's not. Do you think it's a coincidence or something that is pretty telling that he essentially chose an immortal being to be his best friend in what turned into his adult life? Because Groot really can't be destroyed and just just kind of regrows himself. Even when you think he's dead, he just comes, comes back. And then he had to, I guess he had to regrow up. But yeah. This, they did that a few times in this one where it looked like he was, like, after Adam oh, Warlock showed, shows yeah. up, it was like, oh, is he going to have to regrow? And it's like, no, he's, he's through that now. He can just do that. And I wonder if that's a thing with Rocket, if that makes sense. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it like that before, but that's a that's a very good, uh, that's a very good bit. It's not going to take one bullet yeah. to kill this guy. So yeah. I'll hang out with him. Let's bring that into therapy. That is a very good tidbit for for someone else to figure out who's smarter than us. Rocket could probably benefit for, from some therapy. Although he has opened up a little bit. He has that moment where you think he's going to die. I will say one thing that annoys me. This is more of a Marvel problem in general. And I get it because of the way they've built this media conglomerate of the cinematic universe. That they use death. And then almost always take it away, and nothing, and you you just never know what to feel with it. And it's like sometimes it's okay for oh, with Peter? a character to die. If Rocket died or if Peter died, that would have been okay, yeah. especially with the tone of this movie. Yeah, and they didn't have the balls to do it either time. Mm-hmm. Well, Chris Pratt wants a paycheck, so 
they're if he's willing to take it, they're going to give it to him. Mm-hmm. So they're well, never going to kill him. Too. He's, he's not a cartoon raccoon. On, I on wish the I wish that they had explained something like that, though. Like, how is he still alive? It's probably because he's like half ego, the living planet. Yeah. So so that's probably how he could like get away with it a little bit bit more but like and how quickly did like the swelling from being out in space go away like it was there for a minute but it did go away like he didn't really need any treatment for it or anything he just kind of woke up and the swelling went down well like in the beginning of the movie one thing i found pretty interesting was the use of like the med packs i've never seen anything like that in a marvel movie Right, except for maybe like a Iron Man or, you know, Tony Stark dealing with humans. But for the most part, people get hurt and get punched around or whatever, and then they're out and incapacitated until a next movie or even a, you know, a time jump. But in the immediate sense, you don't ever see any of the team members reaching for a tourniquet. tourniquet. And, and you, you mentioned too, like uh, Tony Stark, when he does it, it's like elite, new proprietary tech. Yeah. Not something that you just have packages of and you tear out and... What Mantis puts it on her arm and just bloop immediately. Yeah, you know, healed arm. Harry Potter could use that instead of that. Who's the the dope teacher? Who oh God, who's the what is turns his, his bones liquid? God makes kids help him with his autograph signing. Lockhart, Gilderoy Lockhart. There you go, Adam Warlock. Exactly. No, he's but no Lockhart is also gold themed, so that kind of works. So, yeah, so I thought that was really interesting with the tourniquet. And then I was like, oh, are they going to use it on? But it just doesn't make. It sounds like a it will heal anything you put it on type device. Which is like. Because she uses it to heal a broken arm immediately. And they were going to use it to heal a, a gunshot wound, blast wound from Warlock, whatever. But essentially a gunshot wound to yeah. the chest. And it sounds like it would have worked had he not had the the biomechanics in his body that said, no, 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 you can't do this. I don't know. I just, uh, yeah, that, that, that part really kind of bothered me also. It's turning into a, into a ice balloon, but then not. I, I get it because if you kill a character, then it's a whole different thing to do an explanation why they're back. Comic books can do whatever they want, but that would also feel cheap if you killed the character and just brought him back for whatever reason. So I get it, but this movie really felt like something where a, a death could have been really effective. And that stuff always gets undercut in Marvel movies. Yeah. Nebula dying. I think you could have had any of them dying. Drax has this like moment where you're like, oh, fuck. Is Drax going to like eat shit? All three. But when nope. They're... They have one of the little kits. <laughs> <laughs> when the ship is going up and Drax has to hit down the door, but it looks like, oh, are they going to have a space issue yeah. here? Those three. Um, yeah. Space. It, notoriously cold. Once they do learn about how bad the... Speaking of death, though, once they learn about how bad the high evolutionary is, uh, Peter Quill goes, yeah, we can kill these people. Very quickly goes from that's not what we do as a guardians to using a man <laughs> as a kind of like a landing parachute guy like well, if Groot is his parachute the man is, is his I don't know he's like the, the thing you jump on in a slide to protect you from the slide what what are the things that the planes use like with the wheels the 
touchdown wheels or whatever. That's what that landing guy gear. was. Landing he was his gear. landing gear. He was his landing gear. Yeah, but you're right. Once it once it turns out these people are bad and it's really about saving Rocket, all bets are off. With yeah. Peter. So he, he has a line and you can cross it. Yeah. And they, they definitely did. Uh, they crossed the line of emotion with me, I believe, with you as well. I really liked it. Yeah, I was trying to figure out if you were crying. I welled up a few times, but I don't think I actually had a full tear fall down. But it's not out of the question for that movie to make you cry. I would not I, I would not bat an eye if it made me cry or if it made anybody else cry. It's definitely that emotional. The collar of my shirt was wet. I always try to... Like soaking wet. I think it just goes back to like, a, oh, you're not supposed to cry at movies. Like stupid thing in my head that like, I let myself get that emotional, but I always try to like hold the cry back. I don't let it out. If I hold it back, I get like a rawness in my throat. That's like, it, it feels like my throat is being constricted by like a boa constrictor. That's what it feels like when I try to like not to cry. And it, it doesn't happen all the time, this, but sometimes the, sometimes they get me. These movies get me. So, you know, the Jim Valvano speech every week during college basketball season, they have the Jimmy V week and they, they raise money for cancer research. And you, you, I think you watched a speech this year yeah. with me. This movie hits his hell of a day. You should laugh. You should cry. And you should think. And this movie actually yeah, does actually all three does, of those. Yeah. So I, I completely recommend guardians of the galaxy volume three. I think it's, up there, it would be in my top five of Marvel movies easily. I would recommend it, but be warned. Be warned. If the spoilers weren't enough, be warned. Well, that's it uh, for this week. I'm Chops. I'm JLo. I see. Are you gonna cry again? The problem was I came in with so much bravado because I knew how emotionally damaged I was at the end of at the end of watching that film. So I, I came in hyping myself up. But I'm just, like, kind of sad. Happy birthday to me, though. Yay, happy birthday, J-Lo. Thanks for listening, everybody. Chops TV is made possible by people who subscribe to podcasts and viewers like you. 